the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In this episode, we're lucky to be joined by a longtime friend of mine, Ben Holland. Ben is an entrepreneur and political activist who grew up a few miles from Tina Bar and has lived inside the drop zone for the last 10 years. He's a skeptical dude, but I really appreciate the way he looks at things. This episode is a long one, but it's fun and not too serious. Ben and I break down some of the most popular suspects inside the Vortex. I had a great time speaking to Ben, and I know you'll enjoy this episode with my good friend, Ben Holland. Ben, how did you get involved into D.B. Cooper? Well, I had always heard the story from when I was a kid growing up in the Northwest, and then I'd been to D.B. Cooper Day. Uh, my wife grew up going to D.B. Cooper Day every year. She had a family friend that had property across the street from the aerial store, and so they used to go there and listen to the band and use it as an excuse to go underage drink. And then I got even more involved with it once you started your podcast. And especially after going to D.B. CooperCon, I really got interested in it and have been following your podcast very closely and definitely... Uh, it's very interesting, and the people are unique. Let's talk about my podcast, shall we? What did sure. you think when I told you I was going to do a podcast about this? Honestly. I probably rolled my eyes at first. I was like, oh, great, here goes Darren doing something. But after hearing the first podcast, I enjoyed it, and I've been listening to everyone ever since. It wasn't just another one of my crazy ideas. Did you think it would no, last no, this long? No, no, he actually followed through with it. It's been really cool. And it is fun being somebody who's known you for a long time. I can hear you talking to the people and be able to catch the intonations in your voice and have an idea as to what's really going on in your head. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm definitely sure of that. So you've, you've listened to every episode. I do appreciate that. You know, you are one of my biggest fans. That's for sure. Um, you listen more than anyone else in my family or any of my friends. I can comfortably say that because they will not hear this. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fine. Well, and I've listened to some of your episodes twice because your podcast, the only one of my podcasts that my wife will listen to. <laughs> well, thank you, Whitney. I appreciate that. But we've covered a bunch of different suspects on the show, and you as a skeptical dude and someone who I appreciate the way they think, I figured we would go over a couple of these 
What do you think, Ben? I think that's a great idea. All right, let's start with Kenny Christensen. I want to start with him because he was one of the first people that really got me into the D.B. Cooper case. One of the first suspects, I should say, where I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I think there's a lot of credibility to this Kenny Christensen suspect. What are your thoughts? I don't know. I think that there is a lot of misinformation with Kenny Christensen. I think I like that he was a paratrooper and he was in the army. And, you know, I think that that makes him a strong suspect. And then, you know, with the, he had bought a house in cash and had a bunch of money. And, but then, you know, uh, turns out that he didn't actually pay cash for his house and he just sold a bunch of property and that's why he had a bunch of money in the bank yeah i think that he remains a suspect interestingly he is number one on the list of suspects on the wikipedia page which i find really interesting and the person who is pushing him as a suspect uh robert blevins is just relentless in his in his pursuit of publicity for Kenny Christensen, I would say. Yeah, but I mean, if anybody has made a name for themselves pushing a certain suspect, they're going to probably keep pushing it, even if they don't think that he's real, if they're getting publicity. That's a good point. Nothing against Robert Blevins, but that's just my thought. of if I If I had a suspect that I had made a bunch of notoriety with and made, made a name for myself saying, this guy is D.B. Cooper... And I'm probably not going to back down because it's obviously working. Yeah, it puts you in a bad position. Like everything I've said up to this point is not true. But take my word for it now. Right. Well, it's not even that. It's that, you know, obviously if Kenny Christensen's such a popular suspect, then, you know, you're the go-to person on it. You're going to get brought into, if there's like a documentary or something like that, you know, you're the go-to person and why... Why ruin a good thing? What do you think of the fact that he continued to work for the airline for like 20 years after that? I bet if if he was D.B. Cooper, I bet he enjoyed his job more afterwards because he just had this whole, I got you guys. And then he, you know, I guess I think back to jobs I've had that I hated. And if I would have pulled something like that off, I would have been anytime my boss was a jerk with that thing. Okay, well. I still got you guys. Yeah, but do you keep going to work? Yeah, well, I mean... It's a million and a quarter amount of money. The amount of money that D.B. Cooper got isn't enough to just retire on. It wasn't enough to just retire on back then. No, it wasn't, but it's enough that you didn't have to go to work for a while. It's, it's a million and a quarter today. So if you were able to steal that from your boss at the widget factory, do you go to work the next day and back onto the assembly line? You you one hundred percent do you. That's not even an option because those inside employees are going to be some of the first people looked at in a theft situation or uh, as hijacking. But employees of the airline are automatically a suspect whether they have anything else that would point them in that direction. And if you stop showing up to work the day after that happened, and you know that's going to raise red flags. You absolutely would have to go back to work. That's a good point. It would raise flags to quit immediately after. But do you continue working there 20 years? I don't know about 20 years. And especially 
especially if you hate your job enough to where you're robbing them with a bomb on an airplane, I don't think I would stay there. And also, D.B. Cooper said that he had a grudge, but it wasn't with that airline. And so, you know, I don't know. I guess it's hard to know if you should trust D.B. Cooper or not. He was a criminal, but still. That's a good point. His He said he had a grudge, but it wasn't against your airline. All right, so is Kenny Christensen D.B. Cooper? No. All right. Next suspect, Lynn Doyle Cooper. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sold on him. I mean, really, why would you use your real last name? I mean, that his last name alone, which I guess it could be like reverse psychology type of a trick, but I mean, really... Are you really going to use your own last name? <laughs> it would be a, a bold move. Or maybe he said his name was Dan and then forgot to use his fake last name. Right. I do like that he did know the Dan Cooper comic book. I like that as well, but I'm also curious if that is something that came to light after the Dan Cooper comic book references yeah that's very possible and you know and if assuming that he wasn't db cooper obviously he uh i don't know it's if there's a name correlation there too you're probably going to be like oh this guy had the same last name as me too and then oh there's also this comic book but you know it's, it's hard saying the FBI came out and said that his DNA did not match. Yeah, but they also don't have, like, you know, they, they, they say they have a partial DNA sample, which I I guess that that's something I should read more about, but I don't really even know what that means, but it's not enough to lock somebody in, but it's enough to rule people out. But also, who's to say that the, that the tie wasn't from a... It, uh, that it wasn't from a thrift store and it could, there, it could be anybody's DNA on that tie, honestly. Yeah, that's true. And also it could even be somebody from, from the FBI, somebody who's handled it. It could, there's a lot of different things it could be because obviously with DNA not being prevalent in the early seventies, they weren't looking to not contaminate things for DNA. Very true. Yeah, and they threw away the cigarette butts because why would they need them? Exactly. So, you know, that just kind of tells you, you know, are they really going to be... And that's the other thing with... Uh, was that uh, Tom or uh, or was that Eric that did the forensic testing on the on the tie with the different metal fragments? Oh, uh, that's Tom K. Yeah, so... And, and that's the other thing. I, I think it's really cool. It's really interesting. It's crazy the different things that are on there. But who knows what sort of you know conditions that tie has been stored in for the last, what, 40 years, 50 years? Yeah, almost 50 years. So, you know, it's, it's very possible. Because that's an oddball group of different, you know, molecules that were on that tie. The different, different what was it, titanium? Yeah, and a bunch of rare earth minerals, parts from CRT tubes, and yeah, it's just it's it's really weird. It's I and mean, 
it, it's interesting to look at the suspects and like try to think, you know, who would have a chance to get that stuff, be around that kind of stuff. But then again, who says this is also the guy's regular tie? I mean, if the guy was normally wearing a tie all the time, would he really leave his tie sitting there? That leads me to think that it's not a normal attire for the guy. That's a good point, but he's also getting ready to jump out of an airplane. And when you're jumping out of a plane, having a clip-on tie flapping around your neck, it's going to fall off anyways. Yeah, but and he went through all the work to even collect all of his notes back. And he went collected you know, everything back that he had and left the tie there. I still would think if if the tie is part of your normal attire, if you're getting up off of sitting on a plane to get off a plane to go meet somebody, you're, you're, you know, it's going to be, you know, grab your tie, put that on because you're going to want to look presentable as you're getting off of the airplane. I understand why you take it off if you're riding in the plane trying to be comfortable, but I would think that if that was regular attire, just grabbing that and he would have grabbed that just like he grabbed the notes and put that, I don't know if he put it in the briefcase with a bomb or what he did with the stuff, but you know, obviously he didn't leave anything else on the plane. That's interesting. It kind of goes against something else that, that Tom K says, which is DB Cooper wore a suit because he was comfortable wearing a suit. Do you disagree with that? Uh, not necessarily. I think, and obviously there's so much of this that's, open to open for debate because there's so much we don't know, but in the seventies, air travel wasn't something that everybody did. I mean, it's, it's, it was an expensive, luxurious way to travel. And, you know, if you're somebody that doesn't normally ride a plane and you're, you know, more down and out, you would probably think, Oh, I'd fit in on a plane wearing a suit. Yeah. That's a great point. I wonder I, I'm sure this could easily be done, but I mean, just look at a bunch of pictures of people on airplanes in 1970 and 71, and what percentage of the dudes on that plane are wearing suits? I'm going to guess it's going to be very high. I would think it would be a lot higher than today. Oh, today pajamas would be higher than people in suits. Oh, absolutely. All right. We got a little sidetracked there. L.D. Cooper. Is he D.B. Cooper? I don't think so. All right. I know this particular suspect is one of your favorites, Barbara Dayton. Oh, Barb Dayton's my absolute favorite suspect. She had an incredible story. I mean, the first person in Washington to have to have a sex change and just an incredible life. And I still am curious if if her husband knew that she was a man originally. <laughs> that would be interesting. The gentleman she married, uh, and then he passed away. That her pilot friend. Yeah, and but her story is even with take away the DB Cooper stuff, and her life should be at least a Hallmark movie. It really should. It really should. Her story is absolutely incredible, and the Foremans as well. That they were so forward thinking. For the time. Oh my goodness, yeah. When, when, was it Ron Foreman? Yeah, was Ron that, and Pat. Husband? Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he said that he didn't even realize that, that was something that they could do, but was like, <laughs> oh, okay, whatever. 
So they're they're definitely uh, very forward thinking, especially for the seventies. Oh yeah, they were the coolest people too. So nice. Yeah, they they, they seem cool, and I I really wish it was Barb. I mean, I I don't think that it was, but she's still my favorite suspect, and I wish that she was. Why isn't it Barb? I don't know. I think that I'm trying to think of the most politically correct way to put this, but most of the time when you're around someone who's transgendered, you, you can tell. And especially for Tina sitting next to her, uh, sitting next to DB Cooper on the plane, I would think that you'd be able to tell what that DB Cooper didn't have genitals. Gosh, like I said, I'm trying to think of a politically correct way to say this. I'm totally, totally pro-trans everything. But I mean, <laughs> it, <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't. I, I, I'm trying to beat around the bush, but I, I think that you'd be able to tell, especially because what year did um, what, what year did did Barb have her have her sex tape sex change? I believe it was '69. So two years prior. You know what? That that would be, there's a few things with that that really could lead her to be a good suspect. Because think about, a, can you think of a better way to change your appearance at the airport before donning, getting on the plane to interport, enter the airport as a woman and then go and change into a man? That's a pretty... And, Pretty great disguise. That's that's awesome because nobody's going to look for that. And I wonder if the FBI would have, if when they were searching the airport for clues, if they would have found, you know, women's clothes discarded somewhere in the airport, if they would have really put two and two together at that point. Probably not. So that's another one. I mean, even if it wasn't Barb, somebody could have, you know, traveled to the airport and drag. Yeah, but... Good drag is hard to pull off. Like you said, people notice. Most of the time you yeah, can tell. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be good drag to not look like D.B. Cooper when you go to the airport. Yeah, that's true. Because all you have to do is put on some lipstick, eyeshadow, wig, and women's clothes. And, you know, D.B. Cooper was clean-shaven. So, judging by the by the drawings, I think he would have been a not the best looking woman ever, but you know, that that's a good way to have nobody recognize you traveling to the airport. And if you put a blonde wig on the sketch, does it look exactly like Barb Dayton? Honestly, I don't know if I've seen a picture of Barb Dayton. There are some pictures in the foreman's book, the ledge. I think, gosh, I'm pretty sure their book's called the legend of DB Cooper. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize, but there are some pictures in the book. There aren't a lot of, good pictures of Barb, uh, especially around the time. And I think that that's partly because she didn't really want to have her picture taken and didn't have a lot of friends. She was kind of a hermit. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, it's, uh, you know, the, and the fact that she was befriended by the foremans and based on her story, I mean, it seemed like she was kind of trying to pull away from that friendship for the entire friendship. She really did. And they had to like chase her down. And then as soon as she she met her husband, she kind of like just disappeared, moved to what Arizona. 
Uh, Nevada, I think. Okay. Because she was Same gambling thing. all of her money away. Well, from the stories, uh, if you know, from the as frugal as she was, I I don't know if um, if I would see her as being the type to gamble to fritter fritter away money gambling. Oh, I believe in her last days, uh, she spent all of her money gambling. Like she oh, really? Would, yeah, she would get her social security check and then just go gamble it uh, until it disappeared and then go back oh, to her Oh, that's right. Train. I remember that. Yeah. It's been a while since I've listened to that episode. and Well, unfortunately, I haven't read the Foreman's book. I'd recommend it. it. It's a really good book. It's also short, which is good, too. But, I mean, Barb is a pretty good suspect, right? I mean, Ron said, which I thought is great, they never found D.B. Cooper because they were looking for a man. That's true. There's a lot of things that, you know, it very well could be, and I don't have any, I don't have the evidence or knowledge or anything to prove that it wasn't. I I would like it to be Barb, but again, I just, I just think that, you know, I don't know. I, I, it very well well could have been, I guess. There's not a lot of evidence pointing against it. If it was Barb Dayton, is that not the most Pacific Northwest thing to ever happen? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like an episode of Portlandia right there. It is an episode of Portlandia. It's got like so many things about the Pacific Northwest rolled all into one. Okay, so Barb Dayton, you're going probable or not likely. Uh, I guess I guess probable. You talked me into it. Probable. Okay, cool. I like it. William Gossett, Wolfgang. Um, gosh, he uh, oh, he had a lot of military experience, which I like that because the fact that when he was putting on, he chose the military parachute, and that Tina said that it looked like he had put it on a hundred times before that uh, always anybody with military experience. I always, you know, that's always a plus in my book. And so that, that's possible. Um, and didn't he, uh, admit to it later on? Yeah, he did, uh, late in his life. And what's interesting about him is he was kind of always like a lifelong bullshitter. And so no one really believed him. I mean, he was a paranormal radio show host. He performed exorcisms. Um, Wasn't he a priest? He was a priest. <laughs> I mean, the guy did it all. And There's so, so many. That's the great thing about 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 the DB Cooper story and the debate with all these suspects is so many of these suspects have lived this these extraordinary lives. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things about the case. I mean, if you look at like Zodiac or something like that, the suspects, okay, there's a couple of them that are interesting, but um, mostly they're just average dudes. But you look at the D.B. Cooper case and you've got a paranormal radio show host slash priest performing exorcisms and uh, a transgender gal. Uh, you got a wild crowd here. Right. And, you know, and there's, there's him. It was a son that he showed like a wad of cash on Christmas in 71, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and his other son, who they were like estranged, 
He's his dad is on his deathbed. The other son goes to see him and hadn't spoken to him in like 15 years. The first thing Wolfgang says on his deathbed is he starts going into the I was DB Cooper thing. Hadn't seen this guy in 15 years. I think Wolfgang is a pretty good suspect. I think he's one of the better ones. I I think that um and he seems like the type of person where I mean if if you're going to go from being a like a paranormal investigator, spend time, spend so much time in the military and all that. And being a priest, which means that, you know, being a priest, I'm assuming you're leading mass and they're telling me you'd be a decent speaker and probably be able to, you know, stay cool, calm and collected on the flight, you know, but now, but was Gossett known to be a nice, courteous person though? It seems like I remember he was he was kind of a no no that wasn't him that was uh, John List that was the guy that was an asshole. Right. I think I think Gossett was more kind of a a slippery guy, kind of a con man, that kind of a thing. I got the impression from Greg that he wasn't the world's greatest dad, and wasn't there a lot and kind of came and went. But as far as if he was a good person, a polite person, probably, you know, especially to young, decent looking chicks. Yeah, but I also find it weird that if he's this slippery con man, is that really the guy that's going to pay for drinks when he's hijacking an airplane? Because a slippery con man to me seems like the guy that's going to try to get a free drink any chance he can. If you were going to hijack the plane, would you pay for your drink right before? No. No, I mean, well... I don't know. I did have a wise person once tell me never commit more than one crime at a time. Solid but, advice. I'm going to make a note of that. Okay. <laughs> but, no, if I was hijacking a plane, I mean, are they even going to come and ask you for the money for your drink if you're hijacking it? Because that, that's another question I have is, like, how did he? Even, how did that even come, come to it? Did Tina bring him a tab before he jumped, or was he just <laughs> paying cash for the drinks as he went? <laughs> Right before he jumped, she had to bring that thing where you scan your card into it. Right. Well, back then it was the whole thing, like from from Home Alone. Oh, that's right. Yeah, making a carbon copy of your actual credit card. Right. Which I wonder if Dan Cooper got in credit cards in his name. Oh, he paid for the ticket with cash. I'm assuming he paid for the drinks with cash. Yeah, he paid for the drinks with cash. I don't even think you can pay for drinks on a plane with cash now. I don't know. I never have cash. Oh, I do. But anyway, the um, yeah, I don't know. I I like him. I like him as a suspect a lot. The but the slippery con man thing when paying for the drinks that just that seems odd to me. But I guess paying for drinks at all when you're hijacking an airplane seems odd to me at that point. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of think that I would pay for my drink. If I was about to hijack the airplane, if I knew I was going to hijack this plane at 8.15 and I'm ordering a drink at 8 o'clock, I think I would pay for the drink and kind of, you know, have a smile on my face. Like, just wait. You think you're getting my $8 for this drink right now, but just wait. Right. What, is that the only thing that you have against... Wolfgang. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, he's 
I think he's the right age, and um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see. Uh, he's got, he's got, he, he's probably one of my favorite suspects as far as like I think he's one of the most likely suspects. All right, how about John List? <laughs> okay, I think that John List is one of those who the people just kind of try to you know add something to another story and I don't know. I don't, I don't think that he was DB Cooper. I don't think there's any evidence showing that he was DB Cooper or could have been DB Cooper. And I think it's just, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think it's very probable as a family man. Do you ever look up to John list? <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I, if I were to kill my wife, it wouldn't be because of Jesus. It'd be because she, I don't know. I wouldn't kill my wife. Take that out. No, that's staying in for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the only reason John List, his name keeps being brought up is because he looks remarkably like the first sketch, but a lot of guys do. And he disappeared. He disappeared two weeks before the hijacking. So the timing is very suspicious. But I mean, when I talked to Joe Sharkey, he seems to be able to account for almost all of his time. Uh, He wasn't in the Pacific Northwest. John List's family thinks the idea of him doing this is laughable. So there's just, like you said, there's no evidence that that links him to it only coincidental timing. And he looks similar to the sketch. Right. Cause I mean, he obviously like DB Cooper was, you know, he plotted and planned this out and was meticulous about it. And I guess that John list planned out murdering his family and but I think it was just dumb luck that he managed and you know the lack of technology they had back then that made him be able to survive on the land for so long. Yeah, I mean he moved four states away and everyone was just kind of like, "Well, he disappeared." Uh, there was no there was no way to track him down. Right. Uh now uh murdering someone in New Jersey, you can't just show up in Colorado and start a new life. It's a lot harder now. Right, you'd have to kill someone in Boise to move to Colorado to get away with it. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so John List, is he D.B. Hooper? No, no, no chance. No chance. Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Well, again, he's a veteran. I like that. He is. A decorated and helicopter a pilot. a recreational skydiver, too. Yes. Which... With him being a recreational skydiver, obviously the that was one of the groups that the FBI was uh, was you know searching for skydivers, and um, and then didn't he, and he he also like in his hijacking he was a complete idiot. Yes, he was. He, he was. The complete opposite of D.B. Cooper with his hijacking. Yeah, he tried. 
it seems to me like he tried to do it the exact same way, or even maybe he thought of some things that he would do that Cooper didn't, like putting on a disguise, but he just, everything seemed to go worse for him. But he did, he made it to the ground with the money. Well, yeah, but that's a, 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 when you look at like the survivability of D.B. Cooper's jump versus uh, McCoy, and McCoy was what, out of Salt Lake. Yeah, I want to say he bailed out like maybe it was Park City or Provo. Pro, let's go with Provo. Yeah, there's not a. It's not like you know a difficult jump. I wouldn't think when I think of driving through that part of of Utah, it's not like dense forest or anything there. I mean, I think that that's a pretty easy jump. And was that jump done during the daytime, or was that what time of day was that at? You know, I don't know the time of day, but I believe you're right. I believe it was during the day. Which I think jumping at night, uh, granted, uh, you know, other than the risks of jumping into a forest at night in a storm, I think jumping at night is the best best time to do it anyways, because it's going to be harder for any any plane tailing the plane that you hijacked to be able to see when you jump. Yeah, but you also don't get to see where you're landing. That's true. But if you're an avid skydiver, chances are you've done night jumps. Yeah, but like when I talked to uh, when I talked to Mark about this, he says you know the sport skydivers when they're doing night jumps, they're doing night jumps like under the light of a full moon in great conditions, and they know where they're landing. They're not doing night jumps into the woods where they have no idea. Right, which that's that leads me more to be looking for somebody that had military parachuting experience because. I'm guessing that when you're jumping out of an airplane in the military into battle, that you're not like able to pick, you know, when general Patton told the guys to, you know, go invade Normandy and the guys were jumping in there, they weren't like, you know, I, I guess they probably were putting weather into an effect when they picked when they were doing it, but you're, you know, you're, you're having to jump where you have to jump. And I think that that sort of experience is probably more going to be more useful than recreational parachuting. Also, I don't think a recreational parachutist, I don't think that D.B. Cooper was a recreational parachutist because he didn't use that style of parachute. When if you're used to using that kind of parachute, and it's a far superior parachute, that, that would be the one to pick. But he chose the military one instead. Right, which tells me that, yeah, not a not a recreational parachutist. Not a recreational parachutist. What do you think about McCoy's age? How old was he? He was 28. Yeah, that's another one. That's, again, you know, sitting next to Tina Muckalo, and she would have known. She, she thought he was in his 40s. She's not going to confuse a guy that's not even 30 with somebody that's in their 40s when she sat next to him for... For you know, five hours. Hours on a plane. Another thing, I don't know if you've seen a pictures of McCoy, but he has prominent ears that stick out. And it's it, one of those features where it not everyone has it. So if you were going to say, hey, what did this guy look like? One of the first things that's going to pop into your mind is he had ears that kind of stuck out. His ears you know, stuck out more than the average person. 
you know, but if you you're had, a big kind of them. yeah, if you have a giant nose, or if you have a really big chin, or you had a unibrow, a feature that is uncommon. When you're being asked about that person, it's the first thing they'll remember. If you walked into a bar and saw a guy with an eye patch, and then walked out of that bar, and then someone said, "Hey Ben, who was the guy sitting in the corner?" The first thing you're going to say is he had an eye patch. Oh yeah, 100%. And so if you have a a handful of people, let's say at the very least 3 people contributed to that sketch. Florence Schaffner, Tina Mucklow, and uh Bill Mitchell. You would think at least 2 out of 3 would say he had ears that stuck out a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's something you're going to notice. If somebody has prominent big ears, you're going to you're going to notice it. And if you're trying to describe them, that's the first thing. Yeah. And that's not in the sketch. It wasn't something they talked about. So is it Richard Floyd McCoy Jr.? No, no, 100% not. All right. Another young guy, Robert Rackstraw. Yeah. The, the age, the age for him is, uh, is kind of a deal killer for me. 27. And, yeah. And how old was Tina at the time? Gosh, I want to say she was 24 or 25. Yeah, she's going to realize that this guy's like, you know, close to her age. Just somebody that would have been in high school at the same time she was in high school, not too many years before. So I think that, I don't think that, I, I think the age, the age thing is a killer, deal killer for me. Is there any other reason it could not be Raxraw? Or could be. What about all those letters that were decoded? I don't. I don't think that it was Rackstraw. The age. The age thing just kills it for me. There's a. There's a lot of things. He's a very. I think he's a good suspect. The age for me is like the big killer, and he's definitely a, a, another person with a very interesting story. Oh yeah, and uh, Colbert's book, The Last Master Outlaw. It's actually a really good book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Didn't he try to fake his own death? I believe twice. Um, he tried to fake his own death while stealing a plane and said he crashed it into the bay and then pulled it into his hangar and repainted it. <laughs> um, killing two birds with one stone. He was dead and got a free airplane. There aren't many people that have stolen planes. I don't think that's a very common thing. Stolen planes? Yeah, I don't think that's very common. That seems... And uh, When I heard that, I was like... Uh, that's pretty wild. Oh, yeah. And then there's the whole killing his stepdad thing. Yeah, that's another one. <laughs> All right, so it's not Rackstraw simply because of the age. You can't get past it. Can't get past it. All right, Walter Recca. Walter Recca. Is, is he the one that jumped, uh, that, that landed over Clay Elm? That's correct. Everything with him I like except for I really think that the drop zone is accurate. I, I don't foresee that they, that the FBI would have been that far off uh, the flight path because they had F-16s following the plane, didn't they? Yeah, it wasn't F-16s. I want to say it was like a, maybe an F-106. I'm sorry. I'm not a, I don't know my planes, but I, I don't think it was F-16. Okay. It was F-something. And, you know, 
they're not going to be that far off of where he was. You know, did he have to jump right over, uh, right over Ariel? No, but I mean, Clown is. It's on the it's it's on the eastern side of the Cascades, like it's in the Cascades, and I I'm pretty sure it's on the eastern side. Yeah, I want to say it's at the base of the eastern side. So, I mean, flying at that low altitude, you would think that the pilots would know where they crossed over the Cascades. Makes sense to me. What about right? the fact I mean, though that he had a witness? A witness saw him at that at that little tavern or at that uh, diner that night there's more than way one way to get to that diner than jumping out of an airplane i do find it odd that he was there in a suit but that's not that doesn't uh i i think that i 100 believe well 75 percent believe that he was there because wasn't it like the dump truck driver or the cowboy that remind that remembered him yes that's exactly right Yes, exactly. There's country music singing dump truck driver. <laughs> That's the kind of guy that lives in Clay Elm for sure. But he became a police officer and a well-respected one in the community. Yeah, I think that's a normal path to becoming a police officer in Clay Elm. <laughs> we apologize to all the listeners in Clay Elm. Hey, I like Clay Elm. I do too. It's a pretty cool town. Yeah. We, we've been there together. We have been there together. Unfortunately, we didn't find any money. No, no, no D.B. Cooper money or anything. What do you think of the the Rekka story after the hijacking, where he becomes like this international spy and man of mystery? <laughs> he is a badass. That's, that's for sure. And I think it's super, super cool. I... And, even even though I don't think that he's D.B. Cooper, he's still somebody I would have loved to have a beer with. Oh, hell yeah. I wish I could have a beer with Walter Recca. Definitely a cool guy. I bet he loved to talk, too. Oh, I'm sure. And boy, I bet he's got, got some stories. Absolutely. Was he D.B. Cooper? No. What's the, what's the reason? Give me one reason why he's the not. The drop zone. I just, I don't think that the flight path, I don't think that the FBI and the pilots and everybody, I don't think that they're that far off. Because if you're that far off on the flight path and don't know where you're at that by that, like, you're talking like 100 miles east. And if your flight, if your navigation is that far off, how are you ever going to find an airport? <laughs> That's a great argument, Ben. That's a great argument. All right. William J. Smith. A different well, again, Will he's Smith. A, he's a veteran. I like that. I think that um, I like that he was a railroader. I come from a railroad family. And um, I, I'm not super set on, on him either. I don't know. I, I think William Smith is... A really interesting suspect. There's two suspects who came around sort of the same time, um, and recently, uh, like 2018-ish, and that would be William Smith, William J. Smith, and James Klansnick. And and both are good suspects, in my opinion. Both are 
both are suspects waiting to be disproven or or proven i should say both really because you got to do do them for both so it's like there's not enough there to get either one over the hump but there's not enough there on either one to say it wasn't yeah yeah that and I know that could just, be said for quite a few suspects, but these two in particular, I mean, they came around the same time and they both appear to be kind of similar suspects. You know, they're both kind of family men um, and both kind of you wonder, like, what's the motive? What's the motive for both of them? And with William J. Smith, the motive, you know, would be the issues of bankruptcies and layoffs with the rail industry. Um, because of the advent of air travel. Yeah, I don't know. That seems like if I was working in an industry and, you know, there's layoffs happening, I guess, because I've worked for the railroad and I just couldn't see myself getting passionate enough about the industry I work in being affected. And I don't really know if it was really the airline industry really affecting the railway industry anyways, the rail industry, the passenger rail industry was killed by the automotive industry, not the airlines. Yeah, but wasn't freight slowly uh, being taken over? Certain types of freight, like the mail? No, because the, the mail, again, it was automotive. It was trucks. And air freight is, and air freight wasn't even a popular thing until like well beyond this. I, I know a guy who uh, became a millionaire because in the days before you could have packages overnighted, he had people, he booked flights and had, would have like three tickets for one person that would go on there and, and they would pack suitcases and the luggage full of packages and next day airmail. And they would fly it in their cargo across the country and deliver the, you know, the luggage full of packages, parcels and letters and stuff to another person on the other end because that industry hadn't really developed at that point. That industry didn't really even develop until the nineties. I mean, they were moving some cargo and some pastures on uh, via air, air travel, but I don't think air travel was nearly as widely used back then as it is now. That's a good point. I think, I think if you had a grudge against the railroads being killed, you'd be against the auto industry, not the airlines. It's tough to have that grudge when you're driving a car to work every day. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot unless of he was taking a people. train, it was New Jersey. Yeah, and really, I mean, are, are, if you think about the type of, I, I've, I've never not spent a lot of time on the East Coast, but I envision you know people taking commuter trains between you know different cities in the same metro area to be like around the East Coast to really impact that train traffic. I think it was more because. Train traffic and car traffic move at roughly the same speed, and I think that it will. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't see that being a good enough motive to hijack an airplane. I would see being being broke being a better a better you know motive than being mad about trains going away. Yeah, and I want to say his he has his like his name engraved in a railroad hall of fame or something. So, I mean, he was passionate about his industry. Yes. But, I mean, if you were passionate about the rail industry and mad about it going away, I would think that you'd, like, I don't know, 
go and I, I don't know, do something against the automotive industry. I, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess the hijacking would be more profitable, but I don't really know what. I, I don't see the correlation there. And and your dad worked for the railroad for fifty years. Is that correct? Fifty one. Fifty one years. So what year did he start? Nineteen sixty six. And he was able to keep his job for fifty one years. So the industry wasn't that bad to him. No, the industry, the rail industry, the freight industry has grown, and. Now, the amount of labor needed in the freight industry, and that's really what spurred a lot of layoffs in the freight, in the freight rail industry, is the technology and needing less, less people to move the same amount of freight. The freight rail industry, I believe, it moves more tonnage of goods now than it ever has. So you're not into the bankruptcy as a motive? No, I don't think so. I mean... There's a lot of stupid, angry people, though, and, you know, they might not see it that way. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's definitely not a motive because I don't know this guy and, you know, people and look at all the crazy things that people post on Facebook and trying to make connections between. And, you know, I definitely in somebody's head, they could put the connection together here. I just, I don't see it being a, a good motive. I and mean, for me, the way I look at it is the only thing for me personally, it would give me a motive to do this hijacking would be the money, you know? What other I reason would there said, be to do it? Right. I know he said he had a grudge, but I don't know. It's, it's a tough one too, though, because you think somebody that was as cool, calm and put together as D.B. Cooper was. You know, you would think that they also, you know, would have their stuff together where they didn't need that kind of money. But I guess you that maybe that's trying to look too deep into personality types or something. Well, I mean, that's been brought up recently, too. Like, who would be able to be calm, cool, and collected in the face of some serious shit? Like, you could die. You could go to jail for the rest of your life. And those are the two most likely options. In doing this, who can remain calm in that? And, you know, we were talking about it being someone who is absolutely depressed and doesn't care. They're going to... I guess I guess that's true. I could see it in kind of like the uh, mopey sort of way, like being nice to people as you're super depressed and doing something semi-suicidal. Like, would you like a big tip? You know, off, you know just like... What was me type of thing, but I don't. I don't know. I don't see that. I. I think. I think DB Cooper had his head in the game. I. I think that the jump conditions at that point, at the point to where things drug out, and I don't know. I think it was. I think that the night jump was was part of the plan. I don't. And because to me, the night jump seems like a smarter idea, because like. Uh, who was the guest that you had that went over the survivability of the uh, odds of the jump? Like looking at parachuter data. Uh, uh, Marty Andrade. See that one there, that episode there, like, uh, I know he definitely swayed my opinion into DB Cooper absolutely survived that jump. And because of that, you know, you're using circumstantial evidence or whatever, you know, just reasoning. I think that DB Cooper got away with the money because, if he would have survived the jump, but not gotten away with the money, 
that money would have been found. I mean, the, uh, I don't know if we should go into this later or after we're done going through suspects, but I've got my, my own thought. I've got theories on, you know, why, why he, you know, that he would have been found if he didn't make it. Let's go into that while we're on it. Cause otherwise we'll lose track of where we're at. So we'll, okay. we'll push the pause button on William Smith and, and let's go in on why he made it. Well, so like you mentioned, I, I literally live in the drop zone and the area here, it's rural, it's rugged and it's very heavily wooded, but it's also pretty heavily populated. And I know back in the seventies, there were probably less than half as many houses there are now, but you know, you're still talking an area of five, 10, 20 acre parcels in the seventies are probably more of the 40 to hundred acre parcels, but you're not, you're, you're not talking about, you know, thousands of acres of uninhabited wilderness right here. I mean, we, I went to gal's house where the FBI were searching at like right, like right after the jump and the area she lives in is still, you know, five, 10, 20 acre parcels and all the houses around her looked like they had been there just as long, uh, you know, that they all predated the jump. So, you know, you're talking this type of area, they're going to be found. People are hunting. People are always out in the woods here. I bet you there's not a single square foot of ground that hasn't been seen by a person in this area you know, since the jump and parachute would have been found if DB Cooper didn't make it he would have been found, you know, it's to me, him not making the jump isn't even an option. And I, he had to have gotten away because otherwise he would have been found. And, and not just him, right? Like people will argue that he augured into the ground is a phrase that I've seen used often and okay, fine, whatever. But he also had a briefcase with him and a bag of money and a parachute. So even if his body explodes on impact and what's left is eaten by bears, there's a couple other items that'll be found. And, you know, I lived in the same area that you're talking about. I, I've been through those woods. They would be found. People are hunting in there constantly. Right. And the area that the area that's really, you know, open enough and uninhabited enough to even be safely hunting in is still a ways outside of the drop zone, which I don't think that, you know, could the drop zone be skewed? If, it, if the drop zone is skewed 20 miles to the east, then you're in the national forest. And, but still th- that is very, very well-traveled forest. And there are, Lots and lots of people out there hunting, hiking, looking for mushrooms, looking for birds. There's, if you look at the maps of the National Forest, even just the hiking trails are just like, and people are out there. This isn't like, and and it would have been logged at some point between now and then, most likely. What about St. Helens? Did that cover up the evidence? It's possible, but... I mean, on the, on the, this part of the Cascades, I don't, it's not like they got feet of ash. So if the, if he dropped, you know, east, 
then yeah, I probably would have had more ash, but I don't think that, like, I, I think that they would have been far enough away from St. Helens because of their, because what was the elevate? I wonder how tall St. Helens was at the time. I'm sure it was over 10,000 foot at the time. Cause even after blowing its top, St. Helens is still 8,400 feet or 8,600 feet. So you don't think it could so, have hid, hid any evidence they, of him? I don't think so. What else tells you he survived? That's the main. That, that that that's my biggest telling. the The statistics with the with the survivability of the jump, of the parachuting jump from World War II, and that that whole. I one hundred percent believe he survived, and I don't think he would have just you know augered into the ground. That's I don't think that that's how it works. I think you know he would have been torn apart by trees. I think that there's a really good chance he landed in trees if he didn't land in the reservoir itself. I think landing in the reservoir would have been a bad idea. Any of the waterways that he could have landed in or the reservoir, which they searched extensively, he would have turned up. Oh, yeah. Because there's no way you drop a body in the Lewis River somewhere over there and it gets to town without someone noticing it. The Lewis River is so shallow for so much of it up, up like just just west of the dam, that it's and the body's going to wash up. And again, that's a very and it's rural, but it's still very populated. And there's lots of riverfront homes. Oh yeah, and you always have boats and canoes and kayaks and whatnot in the Lewis, and people swimming, oh, yeah, people fishing. People fish the river for for steelhead and salmon, and they fish every single inch of that river. And every time somebody drowns in the river, because again, I live in the area, and every year there's a drowning or two in the Lewis River, and the bodies are always found within like a day. Now, I don't know how the... The one thing that I don't know is how the like hydrodynamics work, where if he would have fallen if he would have crash landed by the dam being, you know, brought down to, I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Maybe he, maybe his parachute is buried under sediment at the base of the dam. But I, again, I don't know how that works. I, I don't know anything about dams. But they sent a submarine down there to look. Oh, okay. Then yeah, he's, he, he's probably not there. Cause and you got to think the shape of that bot, the bottom of that lake, it's, a canyon coming down to where the river ran that they filled in. So you've got the low point there in the middle where it's probably have the strongest current going through and the a, a submarine would be able to find them. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't think he landed in the water over there and didn't turn up. I think if he landed in the water over there somewhere, he would have turned up immediately. Yeah. Well, because I learned from watching Dexter that you have to tie cement blocks to people to get them to sink anyways. I'm going to write that down also. Right next to only <laughs> commit like one crime Dexter at a time. back in the day. Okay, I watched it. Great show. <laughs> <laughs> but how does the money get to Tina Barr? And does that tell you that he survived the jump? Oh, man, the Tina Barr, that's a, that's a wild card right there. I... I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to find what the, 
gosh, I could never remember what they're called. The diatoms. 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 Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to find out the results from that. Yeah, I don't know. That that's such a wild card to me, because like, was there testing done with like the rubber, the rubber bands to see if they would have? Well, and plus the money was in rubber bands, and he got the money in plastic bank bands or the paper paper bank bands, right? No, I believe he did not. Uh, I'll have to double check this, but I believe he did not get the money in bank bands, which are paper. He got them in rubber bands because the money was uh, pre-counted and set aside by the FBI and the airline for just such this thing. So Yeah, I think I don't think the rubber bands would have even would have lasted that long. Well, I mean, according to the research Tom K did, they wouldn't. They wouldn't? No. Okay, yeah, cuz I'm just thinking about like I don't know when the last time I used a rubber band was, but as like a kid having a rubber band that I left outside on the patio and in the fall and find it in the spring when I'm playing out back again and it crumbles apart in your hand. Yeah. And how would it do in the sand at the beach? Probably not very well, especially that nasty Columbia water. Yeah. What do you think of the dredge theory? So DB Cooper lands in the Columbia river and then his body, including the parachute, I guess, and the bag that he's got his money in get sucked up into the dredge and that money gets spit out on the shore of Tinabar and then discovered by the Ingrams a few years later. I think, I don't know about him landing in the Columbia. I, I think that the, the dredge thing could be, I think that that's, if it wasn't planted by D.B. Cooper as like a tease, then it was brought up in a dredge. That's what I think. Cause Oh, you are into the dredge theory. Yes. Yeah. If it wasn't planted, I, I think, I think, I think it's more likely my, my, if I had to put my money on one thing, I would say that it was the money was planted there. And I don't know if it was a ha ha still gotcha type of thing or what? Cause you know, maybe as cool as DB Cooper was, maybe he wanted to hear his name brought up again. I don't know. Okay. So here's why I'm super surprised that you're into the dredge theory because you're arguing that he survives the jump, the dredge theory. He dies. He doesn't have to die for the money to be dredged up. Well, he has to lose the money all in one shot then. Not necessarily because three bundles think, stacked on top of each other. It could have just been a been like a a pile of money. Maybe he jumped later. Maybe he he jumped he, if he jumped out that area. But think about think about the conditions that he was jumping in, and wasn't the bag like overflowing with money? Like, wasn't it? I, I'm picturing like I guess I picture like a cartoon character carrying his bag of money with bundles falling out of it. Right, and it has the dollar sign on the front of it. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> and so, uh, but, you know, I just picture, I picture jumping out and having, and you're jumping out at night. Columbia would be a good place to jump if you have 
experience with doing a water jump. I mean, and yeah, the Columbia has got strong currents, but if you can float and money does float for a little while, doesn't it? Yeah. And they did a bunch of experiments with that. But my problem is you had three bundles together. So how do you get those three bundles together into the sand? They fall together. Out of the sky. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and they could have they could have fallen out while he's swimming to shore. And then they stayed together. Yeah. I mean Okay, I oh, I see what you're but then that doesn't support the dredge theory. How? Well what if it's the western flight path and then he loses the three bundles while he's crawling out of the Columbia onto Tina Bar. But then that goes right. against your that you like the flight path. I'm not saying that he climbed up onto Tina Bar. I'm saying that he could have he could have climbed climbed out of the climbed out of the river, you know, a mile upstream. I, and I don't know I don't I don't know how far the money would travel in the Columbia if it fell out while he was while he was swimming. But I mean that's a and it, I think it would have traveled downstream. I don't think it would have been found right where he climbed up. But then the right, three the bundles is really, really wide right there, and in a non-steerable chute. Right, but then the three bundles traveled downstream together. Well, uh, you know, who knows if if they were or they stayed together, I, fell to the bottom, were dredged together, stayed together through the dredge, and planted themselves together. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm just, I, I'm trying to, trying to think of you know because if. If they weren't a plant, I think they're either plant or they came from the dredge. I don't think that they just, like, sat there. See, I I struggled to even grasp the dredge concept. You know what I really wish? I really wish they just never found those dollar bills because that's like, I don't, I don't understand it. You're not the first person I've heard say that. I wish there was no Tina Bar money find because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It so yeah. doesn't make sense. Cause I don't think that that money was there that long. Like, like I was saying earlier, the, the rubber bands aren't going to last that long. Yeah, and I mean, I know the whole Washougal washdown theory, that I... No. Because I'm familiar with the area, I'm just like, there is no way. If you want to talk about rivers that aren't deep, there are sections of the Washougal that you could walk through almost yeah. the whole year. Yeah. And that's another uh, place I that's mean, super heavily fished. Yeah, because November is not exactly a flood month really here. I mean, it rains a lot in November, but the flood months are usually the spring when you got the snow melt melting too. That's when the rivers are the heaviest, not in the wintertime. Yeah, more more March, April, maybe even into May. Yeah, because I mean, right now the, the reservoirs are all low right now. So I don't know. I... I really think that he survived, and I, I guess I guess I, if I got to make a call on the Tina Bar money, it was planted. Was it planted by William J. Smith? No, I don't think so. Have you read the 1985 book uh, D.B. Cooper, What Really Happened, by Max Gunther? I have not. Very few people have, including people in the D.B. Cooper community, uh, have read that book. But there's some interesting ties in that book that can be linked to William J. Smith. 
And the author of the book, Max Gunther, is like a super credible dude who wrote this book saying he believed it to be true, but it's the story he got from another woman and he couldn't verify 100% if that was true, but he provided everything that he could. And I think for a very credible writer to stake his reputation on that, especially in 1985 when that mattered a little bit more, there should be some weight put to that book. And so I've had that anonymous uh, guy on my podcast, the anonymous military analyst, a few times, and he just he makes a really good case for William J. Smith. And especially with that Max Gunther book, there are some really interesting connections there. And that really fascinates me because then it means like, hey, maybe this book is totally true and people have discredited it for this long and it took until now for us to track down this guy, you know, with the advent of the internet and whatnot that Max Gunther didn't have in 85. But you haven't read the book, so I guess we won't talk about that. Yeah, I, I've been, and, uh, to be honest, I haven't read a single book on D.B. Cooper, but I don't read a lot of books. I probably should, but I don't. All right, so was it William J. Smith? No, I don't think so. And why? Lack of motive? Yeah, lack of motive, and I, I got to go with my gut on this. It's, it wasn't him. This, I don't see the see the motive, and uh, I, I guess that's my main reason. Dwayne Weber. You know, and, and I don't know if, and I know that they didn't find his fingerprints on the airplane, and I, um, I don't know, uh, but I'm guessing that none of these other suspects' fingerprints were found on the airplane either. So I guess that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, Dwayne Weber isn't really a popular suspect anymore. I believe he's one of the two or three that the FBI uh, said that he didn't match the DNA. So he hasn't been a popular suspect lately. Plus, the his uh, widow, Joe Weber, she I don't think her health is great anymore, so she's not out there pushing him as a suspect. So he he's lost his his time in the spotlight now because she's not out there putting him up. And he right. also has the same exact feature that uh, Richard Floyd McCoy has. Uh, and he has even more prominent ears. If you look up a picture of Dwayne Weber, his ears stuck way out. And I think if you, yeah, if you ran into Dwayne Weber and you asked me later, or they asked you later, Hey, what did this guy look like? The first thing you're going to say is he had big ears that stuck out. So, yeah, because, you know, the sketch of D.B. Cooper, I'm trying to picture the sketch in my head right now, and I couldn't even tell you what the ears of the sketch look like. Right, and, and that's the point. His ears are just to the side of his head. You're not getting a shot of his ears. They were not significant. They weren't worth noticing. They weren't worth remembering. Right. Although I do like the, uh, and there are parts of the story that I do like about, uh, like, you know, from his wife talking about how, you know, she found found his, uh, that he had written in footnotes in the Max Gunther book in the library. And yes. he did, 
That I mean, is one great. of the right, and there were thousands of deathbed confessions. So that part there, you kind of take with a grain of salt. And she did. She spent the rest of her life trying to prove that his deathbed confession was true. Which, if it was not true, what a messed up thing to do to someone on your deathbed. Like, to send them on a journey to prove a lie. I disagree. I think that, that's, uh, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Because, you know what you did? You gave them a purpose to keep living for. <laughs> Alright, I'm making a note right now to not believe anything you say on your deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Another interesting uh, Joe Weber uh, story, and this is breaking news on the Cooper Vortex. Oh Joe boy. Weber posted on the drop zone in uh, 2013 or 2014 about a break-in at the Hyacin store the night of the hijacking. And everyone, actually nobody even commented on it. Because people didn't take it seriously. Well, it's actually been discovered in the FBI documents recently that that did happen. And uh, dude stole a pair of gloves and some beef jerky, I believe. And a pack of cigarettes. What kind of cigarettes? I might be wrong about cigarettes. It could be just gloves and jerky. Oh, I was just hoping. Because he smoked, what, Raleigh's? What, D.B. Cooper smoked? Yeah. But at that uh, store, you probably had limited options. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and you go to a little store like that, they're going to have maybe three different types of cigarettes. But yeah, she somehow knew about that before it was public information. How did she know that? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think he's a good suspect. And I, I also like the, ta- like the walk along Tina Bar. And that's the way to explain the money. So it's a plant. What year was their uh, their trip? Uh, 79. <laughs> Boy, that would be perfect. What if the diet... would be, too, because you think about the deterioration of the bills and all that, because the money was found in, what, 80... Was that found in 80 or 81? 80, 81. I want to say it was February of 81. That which would be would, perfect. But... Also kind of a weird time to go to the beach, but there are random nice days in that area. Right, but let's say that they find that you can get the diatoms in the uh, in the sand. If you buried it there, and then the water camp, because the ones that they found on the bills, they say that they were like springtime or summertime when, they, when those are blooming. Right. And springtime is when the Columbia River is at its highest. So that would make sense if it was buried. And then if, say, in 80, if they had uh, really high high water that year and it got soaked, if they find that those diatoms are able to get in when they're in the sand, that might add some credence to that story. Wow. The diatoms prove Dwayne Weber was D.B. Cooper going to prove but i think it would add some credence to that story <laughs> boy that's really interesting i had not thought about that until you just said that very interesting so and that's uh eric that's doing that isn't it 
It is, yeah, Eric. Eric and Tom Eric Kay. better put some cash in some stock on the Dwayne Weber because I think if his thing could prove it, then I think that would definitely lend some credence to her story. Wow. I'm going to have to do some research immediately after this and see how closely those could be lined up. You're going to call Eric up at midnight, like, hey, I've been reading through internet articles and not saying it was aliens. (laughs) I've gotten a few of those messages. Hey, I was (laughs) on the internet all night and I just wanted to tell you who D.B. Cooper was. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm sure they also learned that vaccines cause autism, too. Is that a fact? (laughs) No. okay. Well, I mean, some people on YouTube might claim that it is, but it's not. How how confident are you in Dwayne Weber as D.B. Cooper? I like Dwayne Weber. What about his ears? Uh, I'd put him on the plausible list. All right. Ted Braden. Uh, Ted Braden, he's... uh, well, isn't he the one whose uh, DNA did not get tested? Well, I think most people, their DNA didn't get tested, but... Right, but isn't he the one where they where they tried to send in his DNA? I don't know if they did. I don't believe there is a Ted Braden DNA who is the suspect? Uh, who is the suspect that um, the guy uh, like snuck a DNA sample from? Rekha. and. Rekka, okay. And I actually really like that story. They snuck the DNA yeah. sample and then the the lawyer sent it in, but Rekka found out about it before they got their information back somehow. Yeah, that's that's interesting. No, but Ted Braden is that dude who was went AWOL from Vietnam to work as a mercenary in the Congo. Right, and then like came back and like he's one of the watch story where like, he got his watch back. Right. Or something like that. He was miraculously released from military prison and was like, hey, I'm not going anywhere to give me my watch back. <laughs> After right. uh, he was like uh, looking at facing the rest of his life in military prison. He was definitely a good enough. He's definitely a big enough badass to pull it off. Absolutely. And the, some of the people that I've talked to, uh, especially my, my friend Drew Beeson, who's working on this. Actually, he's working on a book about Ted Braden. Um, all the people that he talked to think that not only could he pull it off, but he was the type of guy that would. I agree 100%. Now, was he one of the one of the ones that was young? No, he wasn't. Um, gosh, I want to say Ted Braden was in his 40s. I don't remember Ted Braden's age off the top of my head. He was in the right age range. He's, I mean... I'm trying to think of any negatives against him. There's not a lot of information about Ted Braden. He looks like the sketch. He has the abilities. But what evidence is there that it was him? (laughs) Well, the same that it was anyone. (laughs) I mean, there's there's nothing but circumstantial on on anybody. And, And he's definitely capable of doing it. And, you know, that's the same sort of exact same question you ask for, you know, what was his motive to do it? And it's like, well, what was his motive not to do it? It, I don't know. It's, I mean, you can't prove a universal negative. 
and it you know it, it's hard hard to make make you know calls on somebody you've never met and only know so much about but no i don't i i like i like ted braden i'm going with plausible for ted braden plausible for ted braden james klansnick well he has an interesting name you like the name klansnick oh it seems like there's a lot of guys with interesting last names like klansnick and rackstraw and i guess maybe those are the only ones (laughs) (laughs) but but anyway and he was a badass he was and he definitely knew the seven the 727 and maybe worn a clip-on tie at work yeah while working near materials that are similar to the ones found on the tie did he keep work? How long did he keep working for Boeing after, you know, how long did he work for Boeing? I don't know the answer to that. He was a successful dude who was employed pretty much his whole life. I know he was working on the supersonic transport, so he may have been out of work when that gig ended, but as a competent engineer living in the Seattle area, I mean, I don't imagine it was ever hard for him to find work. That's very true, and that that kind of is like, you know, what was his motive? Right. You know, like we were talking about uh, William Smith earlier. Yeah. You know, he's, he's successful. He's got, a, he's got a good career, and yeah, I don't know. But then on the other hand, you know, you could look at it and be like, well, maybe after being a badass in World War II, he was just getting really bored and wanted to proved to himself that he still has it or something. I don't know. You know, it's only thing I can think of, but... Midlife crisis? Yeah, yeah, that's one hell of a midlife crisis. Right, because it's either going to be my midlife or the the end of it. <laughs> and I'll spend the rest of it in jail or die. Right. I just don't... I don't know. I don't see a pneumatics engineer being the kind of person to hijack a plane. It does... It's a desperate crime, unless you know you could get away with it. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. I mean, although then when you start thinking about shitty jumping conditions, you got to think the guy did parachute over Germany in World War II. I would think that would be worse conditions than jumping over aerial at night in the 70s. That's true. Yeah, how bad could this be? It can't be as bad as my last jump. Exactly. And being a being a pilot, obviously he knew how to put those parachutes on like they're the back of his hand. Granted, that was, what, 30 years, 20, 30 years before. Yeah, and I mean, there's that, there's, you know, a bunch of pictures of him floating around. And he looks a lot like the sketch, you know, and there's that picture of him wearing that tie, wearing a white shirt with a black tie at work. You know, looking at an airplane, you know, and as far as D.B. Cooper suspects go, boy, that's a great picture. What's Klansnick got against him? Just the motive? Yeah, I think so. That's uh, the motive is a big one for me. I just I, I, I see you're probably living a pretty decent life being an engineer and living in Seattle and. I don't know. I, I just I just don't see you being at the point where you're ready to risk it all over something so 
brash. And granted, it had been a long time since he had done, you know, since World War II. And I just don't foresee somebody that's, I don't picture an engineer being cool, calm, and collected while they're hijacking an airplane. Yeah. No, that's why I, I, I really like, you know, the idea of them being special forces and, I, I, I really like the idea of special forces for that, or you know, somebody who's done some sort of counterintelligence or something where they've been in situations where they have to just be cool, calm, and collected and under crazy pressure. So was D.B. Cooper James Klansnick? I don't think so. Joe Lackich. Now, this was a guy who was desperate, who was depressed at the end of his rope who wanted to get back at the FBI. Yeah. And the airline industry, and, really. You know, maybe it's easy for him to stay calm, cool, and collected when he's sitting in the back of the plane and he doesn't care if he dies. Yeah. That's the kind of guy that might have brought a real bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And again, he's a veteran. And also him working in the electronics industry, you know, that could have explained the residue on the tie. Yeah, it is. He is one of a few suspects where there is, they can account for what's on the tie. You know, when you're talking about Kenny Christensen, who might have wore a black clip-on tie at work, how do you account for what was on the tie? Well, you really can't. Right. But with Joe Lackich... But again, I don't put too much faith in what was on the tie because... Again, it could have been a tie that he got at a thrift store. It could have been, you know, who knows how the FBI handled the tie from when was it actually tested? Wasn't that uh, Tom that did that, wasn't it? Yeah, I want to say it was, gosh, 2009, 2010. Right, because I would imagine that there'd be some pretty interesting, weird stuff that would float through an FBI evidence locker, and I could imagine, you know, evidence being contaminated, being sitting in, in a evidence locker for 40 years. Okay. So, I don't know. I, I, I think that, I think the tie, the tie, the residue in the tie is very interesting, but I don't think that it's conclusive evidence of anything, because you can't prove that the tie was bought brand new and was Cooper's daily tie. Right, but if I'm saying it's Joe Lackich, I can account for it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, other circumstantial evidence that could could point towards him. I I, uh, I don't know. I like you said. I'm pretty skeptical about just about everything, and I don't know. I, I I'm not. So, I, I think the Joe is a good fit, though. I think Joe is a very good fit. I still am not 100 percent sure. I know that you talk about a guy that just doesn't care. But I think somebody who's at that mental state not caring is still not going to be quite that cool, calm, and collected. Because if you're on the desperate you know, end of your rope, you're not going to be calm, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I don't know. And the stewardess has said he was polite. Yeah, I, I really... I, 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 that's the part that I have troubles with. Because, I mean, you picture somebody who, you know, has gone through what he's gone. I'm just trying to put, put myself... Like, to be able to, like, have an idea of, like, the mental state you'd be at after going through that. And, 
I just don't see cool, calm, collected, polite being how you would be if you're doing something desperate to get back at the airline industry. I think you'd, I think you'd botch it. Yeah, especially how much experience did he have planning and executing stuff like this? None. Joe Lackich, was he D.B. Cooper? I don't think so. Speaking of someone who had a lot of experience planning and executing things exactly like this, E. Howard Hunt. One of, uh, if Barb Dayton is your favorite suspect uh, for inter- entertainment value, E. Howard Hunt might be mine. And I believe he's a good suspect. Yeah, yeah, he, he is. I, uh, I guess there's no evidence against him, is there? I mean, the evidence against him is it's one of those things where it's just ridiculous to say that it was E. Howard Hunt, but <laughs> but what are we coming up with to say that it wasn't? Just that it's a crazy idea? E. Howard Hunt is by far not the craziest person that people have suggested is D.B. Cooper. No. I mean, there are way more outlandish people that people think are D.B. Cooper than E. Howard Hunt. E. Howard Hunt looks very similar to the sketch. The first sketch. He looks pretty similar to the second sketch. He had the ability to plan this. He had the ability to execute it in all likelihood. And he also had well-connected friends. Oh, yeah. And I think he would have, if he would do this, I think he would have worn a suit because he fancied himself as a James Bond. And, you know, he was trying to pull that off in real life. So I think if it is Howard Hunt, then hell yeah, he wore a suit and tie. Yeah. And like you guys were talking on the panel, doing it in the suit and tie is cool. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, and that definitely is is the James Bond image for sure. Is suit and tie and doing something extraordinary. I mean, I'm how many times has James Bond parachuted in a suit? Why wouldn't everyone parachute in a suit? Yeah, I wonder if E. Howard Hunt ever did. Probably not. Maybe I don't know. I I'll give him a plausible. Just plausible, huh? Just a plausible. I mean, plausible is the best you're going to get out of me uh, over that was D.B. Cooper because I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know if D.B. Cooper is any of these people and I'm never going to be 100% that somebody is D.B. Cooper until there's really hard evidence to prove it. But E. Howard Hunt, not a bad suspect. Not a bad suspect at all. He's, he's one of my favorites. How about that? What do you think of the CIA FBI cover-up angle? I I don't think that they are. I people always like. I don't think that there's a whole, whole. And there are there things that are covered up. Yes, absolutely. But I don't know. I I, I really. I don't think a lot of people. I don't put a lot of faith in the big government conspiracy theories. I don't think that, I don't think this was a ploy to get more, more security at airports. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I don't see why it would be covered up. So you don't believe the FBI or the CIA or some well-connected individual in those organizations was told to keep this quiet? No, I don't think so. So 
does that make you less likely to believe it was E. Howard Hunt? No, no, it doesn't. Because if it was him and they figured out what, figured out it was him, I think that he would have been prosecuted. I think the FBI honestly does not know who D.B. Cooper is. And E. Howard Hunt was working for the most powerful man in the world at the time. He was. And what year was the Watergate scandal? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know off the top of my head. And was it before or after the hijacking? After. So he was working for Nixon. I think that actually, I think that does take away from him, not because of, oh, I think it was, it was covered up or I don't think that it was a cover up. I think that, you know, obviously he was pretty successful in his own right. Why would you risk it over that? Yeah, unless he knew that he wouldn't go down for it or he was doing it in the interest of some sort of airport security uh, worldwide initiative. Or maybe he was doing it to sell airport security on a national level, a la Najib Halabi. Yeah, but somebody in his position isn't going to do that themselves. They'll have somebody else do it. Unless you fancy yourself James Bond. Yeah, but I mean, I still don't think that you're you're going to get out of it scot-free. I mean, if Donald Trump Jr. hijacked an airplane, the whole world's going to know in a heartbeat. Yeah, but it's a much different time. Yeah, Before the you know, Watergate hearing, that, no one would have been able to recognize E. Howard Hunt on the street. I and mean, didn't, didn't he get ratted in the Watergate scandal? Yeah. Before that, how many people would have noticed him and noticed who he was as a public figure? That's true. I, I'm not saying that he would have been recognized. Uh, I'm just saying that I don't think that the government would have covered for him. Oh, okay. I see the angle you're, you're saying. Yeah, I don't think the government, I don't think the government would have would have covered for him. I think he would have gone down like a regular anybody else hijacking, except for it probably would have been a lot bigger of a news story because it was like a government secret spy doing that. Oh, they they might have covered that part up, but I think he still would have gone down for it. Yeah, that's a good point. So if he if he did it for the government, they keep it covered up. If he did it rogue, then he would have gone down for it. Yeah, and I don't. I, I just I don't follow with the government, you know, doing. I, I don't I don't know. I don't think the government did that. I think that if they wanted to tighter tighten regulations. They just tighten regulations. I mean, look at the look at what they're doing right now with the virus outbreak. You don't think this uh, is, is some sort of government conspiracy? No. All right. So. I can't bully you into saying that D.B. Cooper was E. Howard Hunt. No, I don't. I, I don't think so. And if he was, it wasn't covered up by the government. He just got away. But I just I don't foresee that happening. All right. Sheridan Peterson. Mm, I don't think so, because he was a sport parachutist. He would use the other parachute. Good point. But there is always debate on what parachutes were even there. Yeah, but I mean... Isn't the standard FBI story like that they gave? I mean, because you can debate anything fifty years later. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like what they documented at the time was that they that it was what a dummy shoot. Was there a dummy shoot there? 
Yes. The re- the front reserve shoot. One of them was a dummy. See, that I don't understand why they would have done that because if the logic of giving good parachutes was to save a, a potential hostage, then why would they give them a dummy shoot? Well, uh, that is endlessly debatable. And uh, I don't know if anyone can agree on the facts, but from what I understand, the parachutes were brought to the FBI. The FBI, not an organization that were expert parachutists, called on other places to get them. They were brought to them. So the, it would have been the the people responsible for bringing the chutes who would have made that mistake, not the FBI. Okay. And then you could go down the rabbit hole of the guy who bringing the shoot, Earl Cossey. Um, was he telling the truth? Who knows? And he was mysteriously murdered, and that's unsolved. So that brings you down another D.B. Cooper rabbit hole. Boy, there sure are a lot of those. There are. The parachutes are one of those things that I don't even like talking about. Because I don't even know. And... I've read so many different things that when I'm talking to someone about it, I don't even know if they agree with the facts that they've read or the facts that I've read. What is a fact in this anymore? I don't even know. Where are we? Well, I'm in my garage. <laughs> yeah, but the the parachute uh, thing is is crazy. Why did he get a dummy is a good question. More importantly... Why did he choose the dummy? Did he just not notice or did he not know that it was a dummy? So here's another question. I I don't know if you'll know the answer to, but what exactly is a dummy shoot? Is there nothing inside of it? It No, there was a shoot inside it. It was used for training purposes. So the lid was on it was sewn shut and I believe it had no ripcord. Huh. Well, I guess. You know, if you think about it, if you've got a lot of experience with parachuting, I mean, are you, are, I, I, I don't know. I've never parachuted in the military. I went skydiving one time when I was 21 and haven't ever gone since. And, but I don't know if, you know, if you're parachuting that much in a plane in the military, are you really looking every single time to make sure that it's not a dummy shoot? Or is that something I would think that they'd make a point not to keep the dummy shoots with the regular shoots in the military. You would think they would make it a point of that at a sport skydiving facility also. Yeah, but are the, I don't know, like I said, I don't know anything about parachuting. So I don't know if you're doing, you know, dummy, if you're using a dummy shoot at all in a sport. But he didn't pick a sport shoot anyway. He picked a military shoot. And that to me is, because it seems like it's pretty well agreed upon what parachute he jumped with. Yes. And that was a military shoot. And by their account, they were both military and sports shoots. And so to me, if you're doing a risky jump and you have parachuting experience, whether it be military or be recreational, you're going to pick the parachute you're the most comfortable with. So it's not Sheridan Peterson because he would have chose a sport shoot. That's what I'm going to go with. And I believe uh, the only living suspect. Well, I don't think that he's hiding hiding that $200,000.
it is interesting how much he traveled for not working, but I don't know. You can, I've, I've know people that have traveled like as vagabonds and people seem to figure it out. Yeah, that's true. Sheridan Peterson, not a likely suspect in Ben Holland's opinion. No. How about Ed Edwards? He has two first names. <laughs> that's it. Can't be him. Two first names. Right. I don't know. I don't. Uh, you might not be familiar with Ed Edwards. Ed Edwards was the serial killer who murdered his adopted son, went to jail for it, and then has sort of become associated with all these other crimes. I mean, that guy John Cameron that I interviewed believe he could be responsible for um, his mother's murder, or I think it was deemed a suicide. Um, John Benet Ramsey, the Peyton Allen murders in Portland, uh, the Zodiac Killer. But, I mean, I think there's a lot of Ed Edwards for committing some of these Lover's Lane-type murders. And it, he, very interesting guy. Another super interesting, super interesting guy. You know, he wrote that book, uh, I think, Metamorphosis of a Criminal, and about being a reformed criminal. Meanwhile, he is a serial killer, which is very entertaining, and ended up on, like, TV game shows and stuff. But, yeah, I just... I don't know. I don't, I don't think that D.B. Cooper was a serial killer. I don't think that D.B. Cooper was the Zodiac, and I don't know. I just don't think, I don't see D.B. Cooper as being a serial killer. You don't, I mean, he did commit a crime, threatened to blow up everyone on the plane. Yeah, but he didn't hurt anyone. Yeah, but he threatened to. Yeah, but I don't think his intention, I think that D.B. Cooper fulfilled his intentions, and I don't think his intentions were to hurt anyone. Well, if you're not a big fan of Ed Edwards, Frank Morris escaped from Alcatraz and then did the D.B. Cooper hijacking. Is there any really evidence that he survived? I believe there isn't. Okay. Dr. David Gold, though, wrote that book and he spoke to Frank Morris many times. And Frank Morris told him all of this. I don't want to call anyone a liar, but... I don't know. There's not any evidence the dude was alive, so it's pretty hard to start pinning crimes on him. But if you were to pin crimes on someone... Yeah, it's an easy scapegoat. So, Frank Morris, D.B. Cooper. No. Jack Collins. Um, Brad Collins, who was one of my first guests on the show, uh, wrote a book. I've met Brad. You have met Brad. What do you think of his father as D.B. Cooper? I don't know. I, 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 um, the, the story is, is, is there, you know, it's, uh, and all of a sudden he had a bunch of money, but what did he have for experience with jumping? He was a sport parachutist. Well, that's a, that's a check against him in my book. I believe he was a veteran, but I can't say for certain. It's been a long time since I've read Brad's book. Um, but I mean, most men in the seventies, were veterans. I mean, every able-bodied dude between 17 and 30 went to World War II. So right. almost every guy was a veteran. Right. And I, I tend to think if somebody was a veteran, if D.B. Cooper was a veteran, 
I would I would lean more along the lines of someone that was special forces because there's somebody that's going to be more likely to be cool, calm, and collected in a situation like that. Jack Collins, D.B. Cooper. Uh, sorry, Brad, I don't think so. Ben, why are there so many suspects? Well, because there's not a lot of evidence. So it's really easy to make someone seem like they fit. Okay. And there were a, hundreds of deathbed confessions. Yeah, that's a weird one. I mean, I've read that there were, you mean, Bruce Smith says that he's heard there's up to a thousand or 900 and some odd deathbed confessions. And I just struggled to wrap my head around that. Sure, I could understand a dozen. You know, a dozen people didn't have much going on, and so they wanted to say, oh, hey, yeah, guess what? You know, you always you, you always thought that I might be D.B. Cooper. Well, it turns out I was. Uh, now I'm going to die, so you can't prove me wrong. But Right, and... For there to be 900? And even... Even a couple of confessions. There are more confessions in this case than anything else I can think of. You know what? When I die, I will claim to be D.B. Cooper. Well, I'll know it was not true. Oh, bummer. Well, there goes my son's book. (laughs) But, no, there's there's not a lot of evidence proving it. And and D.B. Cooper became a piece of folklore, like, my, I like, I root for D.B. Cooper. I, and I think most people root for D.B. Cooper in this. I think you, there's a small crowd still that's like, oh, it was a crime. It was illegal what they did. They should be brought to justice. But I feel like, for the most part, I think most people are on the pro-D.B. Cooper side. And it's something where it, it, you, you, know, you want your dad to have been D.B. Cooper. That's a great point. There is a lot of that. It's cool. It's not, it's not, oh yeah, guess what? My dad was the Zodiac killer. Uh, yeah, that doesn't right. have as much cachet. No, that's not something to be proud of. <laughs> At least not in the circles I run in. Oh, I'm surprised in the circles you run in, it's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think D.B. Cooper was a serial killer. I think I think D.B. Cooper got away. Um, and I think he very well could have spent the money. Um, is it what was it Tom that was set that had set up a thing for people to run their $20 bills under? No, Eric's working on that. There is also is, a, okay, another that. website called uh, Check 6, I think or something along those lines. Um, but it was created quite a long time ago, and I'm not sure if it's still even maintained or if it's accurate. But it was, it's like an old school online database, like plug your number into this box and hit enter to see if it matches. Well, Eric better get off his ass and get that set up because while everybody's quarantined, you're not going to find a better captive audience sitting in front of computers and spread that stuff, spread this I know I'll share the hell out of the link because, like he said, if, if there's a $25,000 prize for having a $20 bill that matches the numbers, then people are going to be going through there. The only downside is that a lot of people that might have that money are so damn old that they don't use social media. That's true. But 
but you know, uh, somebody would be like, oh, grandma's got this stash of, of money or my mom does, but just look through this stuff. Although I guess people aren't going to their parents' houses right now. Yeah, that's true also. But once yeah. this is over. If you're listening to this, do not go to your grandma's house to go look through her $20 bills until the epidemic has passed. <laughs> is the drop zone accurate? I think so. I, I don't, I, I believe the flight path is correct. And with the testing they did with the pressure bump, I, I, I think that they probably have a pretty good idea of where they were at. And you want it to be accurate because it would be in your neighborhood. That's true. I definitely have, have, you know, I'm jaded, I guess. Was the bomb Did real? I, no, I don't think so. What reason is there for it to be real? There is no reason to. But I had someone make a really good point to me the other day because I'm always just like, no, the bomb's not real. The bomb's not real. And they said, if the bomb wasn't real, why take it with you? Because, because it's going to have evidence. There's there's a chance they could have, you know, they, they did fiber testing back then, and there's definitely, you know, the forensic forensic evidence was, you know, start was really starting at the golden age of like you know them finding new stuff to be able to do with forensic evidence, and I think DB Cooper planned the heist out well enough to where he thought ahead with that. But couldn't you just wipe down the briefcase before you took it? Why go through the trouble? The briefcase is something to put whatever else in that you want to take. Because you have to carry it with you when you jump out of an airplane at night. That's true. That's very true. And he did have a lot of stuff to jump with. Yeah, he did. Which would be a problem for a lot of sport parachutists, I think. Yes. Now... Although, think about a military parachutist, though. Think about everything you're jumping out with as a paratrooper. Because if you're jumping out over enemy lines, granted, they're parachuting other drops of other stuff to you, but especially if if you have experience with jumping with special forces and you're jumping with a small group of people having to carry enough stuff to be self-contained for multiple days in the wilderness, and I don't think that jumping with a bag of money in a briefcase is going to be too tall of an order. Yeah, and I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I believe that most paratroopers at the time, all of their jump experience was static line. So when they were jumping out of the plane, their chutes pulled immediately. And so not a lot of those dudes would have free fall experience. Right. But special forces would and sport parachutists would. Yes. But again, I don't think that D.B. Cooper is a sport parachutist. What do you think of the fact that there are two sketches and they look pretty different? I'm not surprised. Your memory changes over time. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't put a whole lot of faith in the sketches anyways. I mean, I've seen a lot of sketches that don't look anything like the people that actually did the crimes. That's true. So I don't have a whole lot of faith in in the ske- uh, the sketches to me could be one thing or the other. I mean, I don't think he had a beard, but I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the police sketches. I think one of the reason we have so many sketches is that uh, so many sketches, I'm sorry. I think one of the reasons we have so many suspects 
is because that there are two sketches and you see people match it to one sketch or the other for some suspects. Yeah. So I just think it's odd that the FBI did that release two very different sketches a year apart. I mean, maybe I guess the thinking behind it was this first sketch isn't getting us anywhere. Let's change it a little bit and see if that helps. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like they're getting any shortage of, of leads. True. That's why I've never had a shortage of leads in the D.B. Cooper case. No, definitely not. I mean, I'm still learning about new suspects, and I've been deeply entrenched in this for a while. Yeah. Why do you think this is still unsolved? Because there isn't evidence. They don't have enough evidence to be able to solve it. <laughs> I think that... Um... Oh, is that why? Yeah, that's that's exactly why. Because there's no no evidence. Stevie Cooper did an excellent job, and I think I think if at the time, if they had more technology to use to search for the, or if they even if they would have just made the list to where's a sequential list of dollar bill of you know serial numbers, to where you could easily scan through the list and see if see if a twenty dollar bill made it. But still, and bank tellers only to do that for so long. I mean, a bank teller is barely over a minimum wage job. Yeah. And especially if they're not going to get a reward for finding it. Right. But I'm hoping that, that one of them is found. Do you think this case will be solved? I don't think so. Really? Nope. I don't think, I don't think it ever will. Why do you say that? Because I think that, the evidence that they have, it would take it would take somebody finding a stack of twenty dollar bills or a parachute that you know I don't even think the parachute, I think it would have to be a stack of twenty dollar bills is the only only way to prove it. And ninety percent of the suspects are dead. And so somebody would have found it. Well, what if it's a suspect that we hadn't heard before? What if there is someone out there that's got a stack of 20s in their sock drawer that they just open it every morning? The chance of D.B. Cooper still being alive are are very few and far between. And we're talking D.B. Cooper's most likely would be in his 90s if he's still alive. And I don't know. I'm not I, I'm not saying that it absolutely won't, but I don't think that it will ever be solved. So what would it take to solve it? A stack of 20s. Could a confession solve it? No. What about a really good confession? There have been some really good ones. <laughs> but it doesn't prove anything. No. What could I say in a confession to you to prove that I'm D.B. Cooper? Hey, here, check out the stack of $20 bills. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I just, I don't think that any of the people who have confessed have provided that level of detail that, that you're looking for, you know? Even a confession where I would be like, whoa, that is, that is good. Well, I guess the Walter Recca confession is pretty good, except for his uh, landing zone. Right. And yeah, there's... It's going to take it, no confession is going to do it. It's it, it's got to, there has to be a stack of $20 bills to prove it. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop listening to 
episodes about it or stop being interested. I think it's fascinating. I'm going to continue going to DB CooperCon, and I hope DB CooperCon continues to grow. And I just I don't think it's ever going to be solved. What do you think would happen to DB Cooper and DB CooperCon if it is solved tomorrow? I think it almost ruins it. <laughs> so tomorrow, tomorrow we find out that DB Cooper was uh, was Tom Wilkinson. That's who it was. It was Tommy. Case closed. Is there DB Cooper con? I think so. It's just going to be like Blevins and Gregor fighting each other, or Georgia. That's his name. Georger. But does it then become about Tom, the guy who pulled it off instead of DB Cooper? Yeah, I think that I think it would, but not actually not necessarily because you know, most of the people are they're so emotionally and and you know, they're invested into their suspect to where I don't think that they're going to believe it. I think without without a stack of $20 bills there, and even if there is, I still think a lot of the people are going to be like, nope, it was my dad. Okay, so I prove it tomorrow with DNA, with a stack of 20s, and uh, a GoPro video that he had on his chest during the jump. 100% proven. What happens to the case then? Well, I think it's closed. <laughs> the, uh, the case is closed, but what happens to the D.B. Cooper community? What happens to the people who kind of look up to him, like you were saying, because he stuck it to the man and no one got hurt? Do you care anymore then when it's solved? When it's an actual face that you could put the name to? Or is it cooler when it's just a, a faceless name? It's way cooler being a faceless name. But, I mean, if it's solved, it's... Uh... Yeah, I think that it, I think it loses its luster. I think it'll still go down as, you know, the greatest crime that someone got away with. But I I I think the DV Cooper community would move on to Bigfoot or aliens. <laughs> Is that where they're going? Oh my gosh! I, I hope that's there's, not there's where I'm going next. There's a lot of woo woo with it. It. I'm not saying that they're all that they're all crazy, but there's. Uh, I don't know. They're they're uh, they're definitely a different different crowd. What do you think of the comic book connection? I think that's cool. I that that's that's one that's really hard to say that it is a that it's a coincidence. It is, but at the same time, the name Dan is super common, and the name Cooper, the last name Cooper, is super common. I've never met anyone with the last name Cooper. I don't believe that. I I actually know for a fact that you've met people with the last name Cooper, and you've met people with the first name Cooper. <laughs> I know that for a fact. And so if you were going to give a fake name, yeah, Dan Cooper or Steve Smith, those are both pretty generic names. But the fact that Dan Cooper happened to be a skydiving daredevil. You're right. I guess he didn't use the name Spider-Man. <laughs> if it was Peter Parker that he boarded the plane with instead of Dan Cooper. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's uh, 
I don't know. There, there's a lot of coincidences with a lot of stuff with this case. And you have I, to bet a thousand dollars on it. Did he choose the name Dan Cooper based on the comic book? Yes. All right. I like it. And then I have this on here, but we already uh, spoke about it quite a bit, how the money ended up on Tina Barr. Yeah, I, I I'm going to be, I, I'm, I'm holding my, I'm holding my vote on that until after I, I see the, see what happens to your hundred dollars there. It's putting down on Tina Barr. All right. Yep. We'll see what happens to it, but maybe Dwayne Weber planted the money there. I, I, I really like, I really like Dwayne Weber. I, I like that. I think Eric needs to put his cards in that basket. <laughs> the Dwayne Weber one. Yep. Why have so many people confessed to this? I know we touched on that a little bit, but the same reason that so many people claim to have been at, uh, at Woodstock that haven't been, that were not at Woodstock. I mean, how many old people have you met at bars that have claimed to be at Woodstock? Quite a few. Exactly. So, yeah, I think it's the same thing. People want to feel important. And then we'll wrap it up since it is getting a little late. Ben, why doesn't this case get the attention it deserves? Carol Baskins. (laughs) It's possible. What if her first husband was D.B. Cooper? I wonder if that's been investigated. I'll float the idea. But really, why doesn't... Why do other cases seem to get much more attention? I mean, look at Stephen Avery. I mean, they made a Netflix documentary about that, and everyone knows who Stephen Avery is. Because there's a face to put to it. And why why aren't there a bunch of documentaries and movies about this? I'm the only one know. doing a show about it. Maybe because no one was hurt. I have heard that before. I, I actually discussed that with a, a friend who does true crime a true crime podcast. That possibly the reason that this case doesn't get the attention it deserves is because no one was hurt. And so there isn't that gore, there isn't that where you can feel bad for the victim because they're, I mean, the victim is the airline and the insurance company, uh, two companies that, or two types of companies that no one would ever feel bad for. Yeah. It's, it, it you know, it, it was a, the same amount of a victimless, victimless crime as, you know, making an extra copy of your VHS movie. Boy, that's an old reference that really dates you, Ben. Right, be kind, rewind. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wish that it got more more attention because I find this one way more interesting than serial killer ones. Because I, I think a lot of it also is that it's not dark. Most of those other ones that get they get so much attention, they're dark. And DB Cooper is, you know, it's fun. No one was hurt. The dude made out like a badass. He really did. And I'm I'm so interested in the fact that he pulled it off. Like that heist aspect of it. And it's a heist where no one gets hurt. You know, he didn't have to beat someone with a club. He didn't shoot someone. He didn't blow the plane up. And, I mean, I've heard people argue that it, there were victims because those stewardesses were scared for their lives. They said in a press conference immediately after that he was polite. Yeah, he was, he was nice to them. He was, I, I don't think that 
I, I think that Tina Mucklow was probably nervous and scared. I don't think she was afraid for her life. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I also think that, you know, people were tougher than, than they are now. And I don't think she looked at it as instantly like, I'm going to be a victim for the rest of my life because of this. You know, and I bet you if you asked Tina Mucklow right now, she would say the attention she's got for this afterward was way worse than the hijacking ever was. 100%. Absolutely. I, I think that, I think that this, another reason that it hasn't gotten the attention is because D.B. Cooper became a folk hero. No other true crime people are folk heroes. Yeah, not in a positive way. I guess people are fans of serial killers, I guess, but like you said, in a dark way. Right, that's just a couple weirdo weirdo chicks sending love letters. <laughs> yeah, there's no address to send a love letter to D.B. Cooper. I don't know. Somebody's got to check the return addresses on Brian Woodruff's letters. That's true. Those are interesting. There were also those letters that were mailed to newspapers, too, but... The only uh, the only person that really puts any credit in those seems to be uh, Tom Colbert because he translated some numbers at the bottom into the code Rackstraw's unit and whatnot. But you know, Doug Perry sort of disproved that that method of code breaking. Yeah, I don't remember the details on that, but I uh, yeah, I don't know. I- I really want to believe that the that the letters to the aerial store were from D.B. Cooper. I do, too. I want to believe that D.B. Cooper followed all of this. That D.B. Cooper was reading on the forums. That D.B. Cooper read all the books. Wouldn't you? I, I would. I definitely would. Although D.B. Cooper was way more of a smooth badass than you or I are. Speak for yourself. I'm pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I also hope that D.B. Cooper had attended the Aerial Store D.B. Cooper Festival. How great would that have been if he dressed up in the look-like contest and didn't win? That would be great. He had to have visited the Aerial Store, right? I absolutely. Especially, like, in 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 the 90s. Like, yeah, I was just going to say the same thing, yeah. I like the I, start of the internet, you know, but it wouldn't have made a big splash or anything like that. It was still safe, but I really do think that he went. He had to have. I wonder if D.B. Cooper wrote the ballad of D.B. Cooper. Maybe. We'll have to look into that one. Yeah. Ben, if people have any questions for you or they'd like to reach out to you, is there anywhere they can do that? Find me on uh, you can find me on social media. I'm pretty easy to find. All right. Well, did we miss anything? Is there anything we didn't cover? I don't think so. I think that uh, I think we've covered covered the whole case pretty well. I think so. And uh, next time, I'd like to do this in in person when we're when we're allowed to be closer than six feet away from each other. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Hopefully, airline tickets stay cheap. For sure. All right, Ben. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. If you have questions or comments for Ben, you can find him on Facebook or on Twitter at 
benholland001. Hit him up. Is there a suspect we haven't covered yet or someone we should have on the show? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. We are The Cooper Vortex. Instagram, at The Cooper Vortex. On Twitter, at dbcooperpodcast. Or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. Thank you to Ben Holland for being a good friend and supporting the show. Thank you to Russell Colbert for being a good friend and supporting the show. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to The Cooper Vortex.